0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy. Sally! That's So I got that going. Darling. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. <laughs> we enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside.
1: Welcome to Vintage Video where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
2: I'm Jesse Bayliss. And I'm Richard Wells.
1: And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Where the Buffalo Roam on April 25th, 1980. It was written by John K., not John K., the letter, but the name. Not, nothing to do with Ren and Stimpy. Based on Hunter S. Thompson's articles, The Banshee Screams for Buffalo Meat and Strange Rumblings in Aztlan, It also features uh, bits of other Thompson works, including Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 72, The Great Shark Hunt, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It was directed by Art Linson and released by Universal Pictures. On December 15th, 1977, Rolling Stone published The Banshee Screams for Buffalo Meat, Hunter S. Thompson's obituary for close friend Oscar Zeta Acosta Fierro, an American attorney, politician, novelist, and activist in the Chicano movement he was probably best known for the novel autobiography of a brown buffalo acosta first caught thompson's attention in the late 60s as an attorney defending the underprivileged against unfair drug charges in east los angeles which became the basis for thompson's 71 article strange rumblings in aztlan the obituary was written shortly after acosta's mysterious disappearance and presumed murder death and was quickly optioned for $100,000 by Tom Mount in the, in the late 70s. Thompson didn't object to the option and didn't even want to see a script because of the time. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas had been optioned multiple times and never made. Ralph Steadman, who provided illustrations for Thompson's articles, was brought on to design the poster and eventually did the opening credits font at various points in pre-production jack nicholson chevy chase dan Aykroyd, and john belushi were all considered for roles in the film scorsese would have directed the nicholson version on set thompson and murray made changes to the script at which point john Kay stepped away from the production according to the cast and crew it took about two weeks before bill murray completely transformed into hunter so much so that when he returned to snl in the fall he retained the mannerisms and people felt like they weren't dealing with bill murray anymore During the production, Hunter lived in Murray's guest house and they stayed up all night together between shoot days. Murray believes that he still has a lot of Thompson in him. And actually, I read that uh, when Johnny Depp was brought on to play him for Fear and Loathing that he spoke with Bill Murray in advance and he said, make sure that whoever you play next is nothing like Hunter S. Thompson because you don't want to get stuck as this character because I got stuck there in my brain for a few years.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, and Johnny Depp went pretty in deep too didn't he oh, yeah in, in it, terms a, of his method acting like learning learning his mannerisms he yeah. spent a lot of time with him
1: when when they were making this movie hunter s thompson was living in murray's guest house when they made fear and loathing johnny depp lived in hunter's basement <laughs> and That's awesome. he lived there for months before the production even we start the film with shots of wide open wilderness and uh, neil young sings a cover of where the buffalo roam or it's not the song not called where the Buffalo It's called home on the range. Correct. Over the opening credits with the Ralph Stedman splatter font. Uh, Thompson is typing in a cabin under a taxidermy bat and uh, drinking a lot of liquor and screaming at a beeping fax machine. He tests his dog Rocco's training to attack Nixon. When it hears the word Nixon, he has a, not just Nixon. Yes. But specifically Nixon's testicles. Right. Yes. Uh, He has a a big uh, dummy with a Nixon mask on, and every time he says the word Nixon, the dog attacks its crotch. The fax beeps again, and he sends a random page from a magazine back, and we flash back to Thompson meeting Laszlo for the first time.
2: So, hold on. Is that how fax machines work? Somebody could just beep at you, and you have to send them something?
1: Well, at the (laughs) time, you you would send a message indicating that you were ready to receive the fax on your end. and so you would get an alarm on the sending end and then you would send it
2: that seems really rude and inefficient
1: especially in this scene (laughs) the way it plays out because he's trying to ignore it but um i don't know i mean i don't know a better way to do it than that
2: well i'm just saying like you know to if you aren't expecting it like somebody didn't call you and be like hey i'm ready to i'm ready to get a fax from you just having your fax machine start beeping at you seems really
1: well I think it was Weird. just because people didn't have dedicated fax lines at the time they were sharing it with a phone line so it was like you had to switch it over so it was like hey we're ready to receive your pages because you're coming up on a deadline. And, but uh,
2: wouldn't, wouldn't beeping it require it to be plugged into that phone line?
1: Yeah they, they were both plugged into the phone line but you wouldn't leave them like that all the time hmm. so it would just be a way to indicate okay we're both connected to the fax machines.
2: Okay, sorry. We've spent way too much time on well, learning I, how fax machines work. <laughs> yeah, I,
3: I, I was thinking it was more of of the line of that he had he had left his phone on the fax machine, and people were just trying to call him, but the calls were all being routed to the fax machine.
1: Oh, okay, maybe. And when he stuffs the page, in, he's like, "Chew on that gibberish for a while." Um, I feel like the the retelling of this story is going to uh, there's a lot of lost in translation, if you will uh because bill murray's performance as hunter s thompson is really the most fascinating part of this movie um and so in just retelling the story i'm not going to be doing his voice the whole time and i'm not going to go through and clip every single piece of dialogue but i think it's worth like actually sitting down to see before you judge it from just what we have to say about the story here i just wanted to point that out because he really does a a fascinating and, and great job of impersonating hunter s thompson to the point that you watch a video of hunter s thompson like going out to a shooting range with conan o'brien like as recently as like 10 years ago and he just reminds me of bill murray because he took so much away from portraying this character that they kind of merged into one person
3: had to be more than 10 years ago now
1: has it been more than 10 years since well, he died uh
3: he died while i was still working at python
1: yeah well that's that's less than 10 years ago is it yeah because i i was already dating jess and we've only been together 10 years When I started at Pytown, right?
2: Only 10 years. It feels like a lifetime. (laughs)
1: Yeah. A wonderful lifetime. (laughs) But yeah, I I don't think it's been super long. We have computers, right? Computers exist? 2005. 2005. Okay, so only 14 years. So I don't know why you thought it was 10 years ago. (laughs) Anyway, it wasn't exactly 10 years to the day like Richard suspected. It was a little bit more. Yeah, I remember when he was on Conan, though, and I was watching that clip, and I was like, this just feels like the Bill Murray portrayal. (laughs) But, yeah, so we flash back to San Francisco, 1968. A car is parked over a curb on, like, a roundabout in the middle of a parking lot, and uh, a nurse is telling a doctor that Thompson is having paranoid delusions about Richard Nixon and a swarm of bats pursuing him. Up in his room of this hospital, he has persuaded a nurse out of her uniform and into partaking in drugs with him he is dictating an article into a recording device. The article is titled my attorney versus American justice. Laszlo quickly arrives at the hospital and uh, he follows the loud music that's playing from Thompson's room to find him. But instead of going through the hallway door, he climbs out onto the ledge from right, the, the neighboring door. Cause he doesn't want the, the hospital staff to see him.
3: Well, I think cause the door is locked. Oh, was yeah. it? Yeah. Cause, oh, okay. cause Bill Murray's <clears throat> barricaded himself in the office. Right,
1: That makes sense. But uh, so he comes in through the window and he terrifies the nurse because she thinks he's a bat. Right. Because they're all having bat delusions because of whatever specific drug they're on. It's a recurring theme in these uh, Hunter right. S. Thompson films and books.
2: And there was a bat, there's a bat hanging in his office, like above his head, which I yeah. thought was a nice sort of touch. Like he's got a generally cottagey type feel to his office, like it's all wood paneling and yeah, made, um, you know, big fireplace and stuff. But I like the I like the bat that hangs over him
1: yeah and in the in fear and loathing like there's bats chasing them down the freeway at the beginning of the movie right and you cut to like one that they ran over with the car that's like smashed to the freeway out in the middle of the desert but so thompson uh smuggles laszlo out of the hospital they leave out the window of course and while they're driving laszlo decides he's going to give some statements on the article as thompson is driving him to the courthouse
3: and and typing. <laughs> yeah, he's
1: driving and he sets up his typewriter on it, this cool little desk platform that he has in the car so that he can type while he's driving.
2: Like, like texting and driving isn't bad enough. Like full-on, full-size typewriter yeah. in the car.
1: And,
3: and Laszlo is very comfortable with this whole situation. He's like, I mean... Uh...
0: Hey, you're really getting
1: all of this. Whoa, yeah, he's whoa, not whoa, worried over. about the driving; he's yeah. worried about the typing.
2: <laughs> it reminds me of that Simpsons episode when he gets all the accessories for his car, and he's got like a, a microwave and all this stuff plugged into his car.
1: It's he got bright. all the extras. Yeah, was that the Canyon Arrow episode, or
3: or or was it the um, is the RV? It
2: was. He was deck, He was decking out his regular car, so okay. it wasn't an RV.
1: Then it wasn't the Canyon Arrow, and it wasn't the one where he designs his own car. A lot of vehicular Simpsons episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, At the headquarters for, what is it, Blast Magazine? What do they call it? Yeah, Blast. Yeah, which is playing the part of Rolling Stone Magazine in this film. Marty Lewis, as played by Bruno Kirby, is demanding that uh, Page find Hunter S. Thompson, who is past his deadline. Uh, Page is one of the Bobs from Office Space. Right. A lawyer sits with Laszlo and Thompson and suggests that he stop representing poor people. Uh, they're they're in like a diner somewhere and and he says you know there's a lot of money to be made as an attorney and I, we need people at my office and we could set you up and he's like no, oh, i represent the people and he's like yeah but these people are terrible you're representing the wrong people and they get really mad and kind of flip out on him they basically start a fight in this room but then we move to the courthouse where laszlo is talking to like 19 co-defendants at the same time Mm -hmm. and he talks everyone through the process you know don't talk out of turn and we got to be polite in there and no smoking no drinking no whatever
3: well yeah and he's also like talking to the people who are going to be in the gallery of the courtroom right yeah to keep the ruckus to a minimum
1: yeah thompson finds a woman who is running like a blood drive and i think he's pretending to take her blood like as a joke it's it's an upsetting scene it's
2: an extremely upsetting scene i literally had to pause it and walk away from the movie for a moment because i would be screaming bloody murder to get this man away from me as he pulls a needle out of a bag and tries to bring it to my arm but
1: i also got the impression that this extra was not prepared for this action to take place because she doesn't react to it the way a person would yeah she just kind of is like what are what are we what's happening now okay you have my arm okay what are we doing and she's
3: like no no yeah and he's like oh i missed it i'm gonna have to do it again yeah it's just like
1: but he pulls a little a little syringe out of a medical bag and pushes it into her arm but it's it doesn't have a needle in it but i don't know if it's supposed to or not if he's just pretending or if he's actually trying to take her blood because she's like oh were you gonna give some blood today and he's like oh, i'm actually here to pick up
0: dropping off or picking up
1: uh laszlo is approached by the prosecuting attorney who tries to you know shit talk him before they go into the courtroom And Laszlo basically hands him the leftovers of a sandwich he was eating and says, I'll see you in court. And the guy's like, I don't know where to put this sandwich that I have now. Um, Laszlo tells the judge that he'll be representing all of the cases. Um, Marty somehow finds Thompson in the courthouse lobby. Mm -hmm.
3: Doing push-ups.
1: Yeah. And he reminds him that he has 19 hours until the deadline, which I feel like if you worked with Hunter S. Thompson for any length of time, you wouldn't bother to tell him, like, remind him about this stuff, because he clearly doesn't care.
3: Well, I mean, I guess uh you gotta do what you gotta do
1: yeah but i just Um, wouldn't go in person when there's still a whole day left given his propensity to wait until the last second and
3: and marty also lifts off uh, like a a list of other things like that he's in trouble for like bills and things like that and he he says i couldn't care less about
1: those yeah
3: like it's the story that i want
1: and he's also like it's clear that marty has to put up with a lot of thompson's crap because he's kind of their star columnist Mm. It's not just like it's a story that he cares about. It's clear that people specifically care about Hunter's work. And so he kind of has a lot of leverage on on Marty here. Laszlo questions. The cop involved in one of these arrests who really had no probable cause. Right. It sounds like he accused them of having marijuana and he patted him down and then took a cigarette box off of them. And then when he decided to check inside of it, which he shouldn't have done Mm -hmm. because at that point there wasn't a threat to him and there wasn't a threat to the general public but he found that there were it was full of joints basically um but he's trying to make it sound like there was a physical threat to him like there could have been a there could have been a small bomb may have been concealing a small plastic device exploding device of some kind so i checked i opened up the cigarettes and i checked inside that's why he's like a bomb are you kidding like hunter s thompson like stands up to like talk to the courtroom yeah how ridiculous is this (laughs) And, uh, and
3: all the while like hunter s thompson is there's like a, a legal student who's in the court to observe right and he's been slowly but surely getting him drunk
1: yeah <laughs> he's sharing his uh, his drink with him and the guy didn't know how strong it was because he's lost it very yeah. quickly so the next defendant sits down and it's kind of he reminds me of like uh like harold from harold and maude probably 19 or 20 sits down and he is talking about a previous arrest and time that he served Mm -hmm. for 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 one literally a single joint he went to jail for 18 months or something like that but this time he was caught with a pound of marijuana Mm -hmm. which he says he was holding for someone else which is kind of the go-to defense for i don't have a defense here but he won't give up the name of the person who he was holding it for so the judge gives him three years
3: and that's the scene where bill murray's like to the to the legal counsel is like i don't think he's gonna talk and the guy's so drunk it's like he's not, he's, not, he's, not, he's not gonna, you gonna talk <laughs> i'm
0: sorry judge the kid's not a squealer
1: and then the judge says do you understand your sentence and he says no i don't and then he says five years to life so he just extended the sentence two years because he thought that that was talk back even though he literally just doesn't understand like why is it three years yeah. um but laszlo blows up and uh, chews out the judge. And
3: throws the, the prosecuting attorney over the court. Yeah.
1: Thompson turns in the article with two hours left to print. And he's almost handing it to Marty and then pulls it away at the last second to like just espouse more of his philosophy. And Marty's getting really impatient with him. <laughs> so for- these
2: articles must just be so incredibly amazing for everyone to put up with all of the shit that they put up with. Yeah.
1: I mean, they kind of were, and he obviously won a lot of awards for his writing and everything for the style of his prose. Have you ever read his any of his books or I any of his articles? They're, they're really fascinating. I think the dialogue, like the, the voiceover of Fear and Loathing is pretty accurate and almost taken word for word from the book. Yeah. And that's the way he wrote.
3: It's kind of funny because Bruno Kirby's playing a very similar character that he'll play in Good Morning Vietnam. Yes. Of the guy who has to put up with the the popular person who doesn't understand who's, why he's popular but has to deal with
1: it yeah and who's really funny but also super unprofessional mm-hmm. so we flash forward to uh thompson writing an article about the super bowl in 1972 he checks into a hotel and as he's checking in he makes an absurd list of demands Might as well get the room service under cracking too how about
0: three crab louis for starters three crab louis uh, quarter chivas ice, I lots, of, of, uh, of ice. I have lots of ice yes, lots of ice quarter mezcal and uh, sixteen grapefruit. You getting all this?
1: Sixteen grapefruit. Um, it's like the list from Airheads when they're <laughs> trying to like get their demands met.
0: Uh,
2: sixty-seven copies of Moby Dick.
0: The movie or the book?
3: You made a book out of that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, get the book.
1: One of the things is he wants sixteen grapefruit.
3: Th- th- this is the scene that seems like it's out of Fear and Loathing. Yes. Like, not. I know it's not specifically this but the whole the whole check-in scene and the, the grapefruits
1: that yeah. come into play later marty calls the hotel to dispute some of the things that thompson has requested um well, i and think
2: the hotel calls him and said there's a right. guy here they wanted that's to double check for all this yeah. stuff
1: and he's he's like down the line approving a lot of it but then some mm-hmm. of it gets weird he's like no you don't need a video camera you don't need a television you don't need because he he literally flew the whole way to los angeles he has tickets to the super bowl but he wants to just watch it in his hotel room he doesn't yeah. want to go to the game because well, he wants to tape the game so he can watch it later yeah and he's like i want to i want the instant replays and i want the he's like i'm not going to get any of that if i go to the field um but when he's talking to uh to bruno on the phone he's like what does that sound and he's like i didn't hear anything he's like get the goddamn tap off the phone they think they're playing with children here like there's spies listening in on this just an article about the super bowl but then uh, back downstairs in the lobby they're they're getting some noise complaints about the 20th floor because uh, he's just going nuts up there he's just inviting a bunch of the hot, the hotel staff up to the room
3: and forcing them to reenact the super bowl <laughs> yeah
1: well pre-enact I <laughs> guess. oh yeah that's true laszlo goes to visit thompson while he's having his breakfast on game day and uh, he basically says I got something that's more important so we're gonna go you're gonna get in the car and you're gonna leave with me and when they're pulling out of the parking lot they see a guy and they're like hey you want tickets to the Super Bowl this is Super Bowl I think six and 72 I'm trying to remember what the Roman numeral said outside the building he basically just he holds his tickets out the window he's like you want tickets to the game and he's like oh yeah man these look really real how much you want for them?" And he's like who said sell it's, why don't we do a trade here and he's like how about that that bottle of wine, and he's like this this bottle of wine, which is probably like a garbage bottle of wine. It's in like a paper bag, and they're like, yeah, here you go. And he's like, I like that hat too. That's a that's a swell hat. And he's like, all right, here you go. Here's my hat and here's the wine, and we get the tickets. And they're like, oh yeah, you're probably gonna want these press passes. <laughs> and uh, and and here's and my room
2: key. <laughs> yeah, my room
1: key and drink vouchers. And he's like, everything's all set up in the room, so you could just head right in. And he's like, press pass. I'm like, what what is going on here? Is this real? And they just drive away. They pick up a hitchhiker, which uh, this is another scene from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which in, in the other film is played by Spider-Man, the hitchhiker they pick up. And uh, they scare him by just doing a lot of drugs and swinging yeah. around weapons in the front seat of the car after they pick want him up. a beer?
3: Up. No thanks. How about some either? <laughs>
2: Spider-Man? Tom Holland was probably not even born when that movie no,
1: came out. No, he definitely wasn't.
3: It's always weird, though, how they make Toby McGuire look in the, in that part.
1: Yeah, because he's like albino almost, and,
3: and he's got like the the really crazy receding hairline, like where he's like got almost no hair on the top of his head. But it's
1: also bleached white, and all of his facial hair is bleached white. Like it's very weird. They scare the hitchhiker so much that he leaves, which is the same thing that happens in uh, the other yeah. the other movie. Um, but uh, Laszlo takes Hunter to this shack out in the middle of the of the wilderness where he's been selling guns to like guerrilla armies. Hunter tells Laszlo like this is crazy and I'm going to go I think what's best is if I go back to the hotel cuz this is a mistake and uh, this is going to be this is going to cause problems for everybody. What you were doing before was defensible and you had the people on your side. I think you're going to lose them if I write this article. Laszlo doesn't quite let him leave yet. They uh, they hang out to receive a shipment of guns by via airplane in the mm-hmm. middle of the night and like a gunfight breaks out while the plane is landing. And it ends up just taking off again and not dropping anything off. Oh, I forgot to mention, too, that when they were, while they were at the shack in the, in the wilderness, they were watching the TV to watch the Super Bowl. And the guys that they gave their press passes to, like, wandered through the press box on live yeah. television. Um, and they just take over the mic and start shouting to their friends. So after the, the missed connection with the guns shipment, we cut directly to Thompson going to speak at a university um, there's not really a lot of purpose to this scene other than to show i guess like the public opinion and, and specifically like college age public opinion of hunter s thompson which is that he was kind of a celebrity but, oh,
2: i think it's also to to work, work in a situation where he basically says that laszlo is gone right yeah so that, that he thinks he's dead
1: yeah um and he's drinking and smoking like while he's giving this presentation to the kids who are asking like oh if we drink and smoke is that going to make us better writers we
0: are. i was just wondering if you could tell me um if you thought that drugs and alcohol would make me a better writer That's a good
1: question. he's like oh well, well why don't i why don't we do a little test here and he like takes a <laughs> joint out of his pocket and lights it
3: and people are throwing they joints.
2: throw him up there like, yeah the stage is covered in joints um i like the look on the teacher's face in that scene when the joints start flying
1: just up like, on stage. okay i'm getting fired <laughs>
3: well, but, she, but she seems ob- oddly like it's not like she's appalled by it yeah she, she seems kind of like a hip the hip teacher yeah
1: i mean it you you'd have to be to be the person presenting hunter for that right we move uh basically to thompson boarding a press plane during the the nixon campaign though he's never referred to as nixon in yeah. this section of the movie they call him the candidate he gets on the press plane and like some of the other journalists recognize him and they're like think it's funny like he's kind of their mascot a little bit they're Mm -hmm. they're like oh he's like a celebrity journalist and he's kind of fun and it'll be cool to have a hunter s thompson story but then very quickly he's approached by Dooley with the campaign um played by mark metcalf yeah Yeah. which i think is the first actor so far that any of us has directed
2: (laughs) this is this is true
1: because Jesse directed him for her what? senior project. Yeah. Oh,
2: yeah, I did. You didn't know that, huh?
3: Did you tell him not to wear the pledge pin? <laughs>
2: no. no, I did not.
1: He uh, he did the, the voiceover for, for her uh, yeah, stop motion he, animation. He film. was uh,
2: at at the time that I was in college. He was one of one of the local celebrities. He um he had moved to Wisconsin. He opened uh, a restaurant there. Oh. and um I
3: please tell me they served beef
2: yeah it was a steakhouse
3: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think it was at least i don't i don't think i ever actually went to the restaurant but i did reach out to him and said hey i'm doing this student film and i would love to have you do the voiceover and he was very kind and gracious and and did, did the voiceover for me and
1: and he did an awesome job too he did a great job but here he's playing a mean guy <laughs> And he kicks Hunter off the plane. And I, I did like that some of the other journalists are like,
0: Hey, Dooley, let him stay. He's got as much right to be here as any of us.
1: Yeah. Like, no, you are I'm going to kick you off the plane before I let him come on this plane. Um, but he gets sent to the zoo plane, which is like the the backup press plane, which literally has zoo spray painted across well, the front of it.
3: I assume it's all like the cameraman and the crew yeah. for like all the coverage. And- or
1: also like lesser magazines and yeah. other journalists that they don't care about um other people that are getting downgraded like harris yeah who seems to have screwed up somewhere in the recent past and got downgraded to the zoo plane and it's not happy about it
3: I, I love i love the
1: comedy makes is it always like this no it's usually much worse must wait, it just be waking up <laughs> wait, wait till they start cooking <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I also like that the flight attendant is like when hunter's getting on the plane she's like oh they kicked you out huh sorry here's a beer <laughs> she's, like, she's just like totally gets it Thompson sits down next to Harris, who's played by Rene Abergenois. Yeah. And uh, and he, he drugs him immediately because he's taking some of his lewds or whatever for to make the flight more comfortable.
3: Right, because he says he's got a headache, and and he's like, I got the, their prescription. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll take two. He's like, yeah, take two. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I never had anyone complain about the blue ones. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's like, these are going to make me sleepy. No, sleepy? No, no. <laughs> That's not going to be the problem so uh harris also makes the point that he only has to ride on the zoo plane for like the first leg of this trip that he was supposed to switch planes when after they stop wherever they are and so when they they land at the first stop people are kind of getting on and off of the plane hunter goes to use a restroom that's like near where they landed the flight and uh basically harris is so drugged out that he his plan now is to just pose as harris and get on the plane in his stead and right. leave harris on the zoo plane but um he's going into the bathroom to like clean himself up and uh he suddenly finds himself alone in this bathroom with nixon who uh goes up to pee in a urinal and then thompson starts giving him you know one of his standard like drug-fueled lectures
3: well i love that that nixon is having like obvious problems yeah. attempting to urinate yeah. <laughs> he's just like <sighs> he's yeah. like like having serious problems problems getting a flow going yeah
1: and it seems like some of it is hunter's fault like hunter's taking his shoes off and slamming them on the walls for no reason but every time he hits the walls it like freaks it freaks nixon out and he like convulses while he's trying to pee but he asks him you know what's what's your plan to deal with the doomed and the and the what does he call the 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 screwheads? and he's like fuck the doomed they get on the plane together, and then yeah, he, he
3: snuck onto the press plane, but Laszlo right. is on his way, and and
1: who he did, thought was dead, but shows mm-hmm. up here. Yeah, and he's like trying to show how he expanded his gun running business, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh look at all this paperwork I have. Like this is our new—it's like a land he's got yeah. land to build on. And Thompson's like, you got to get out of here right now. And Dooley notices the the argument between the two guys, and he's like, Thompson, I told you to get off this plane. Who is this guy? Like both of you need to get off here right now. And then the fight breaks out. Right. Um, but they bust open a fire extinguisher and blast everybody with this like flame retardant like stuff, including yeah. Nixon who like peeks through the door to see what's going on <laughs> on the plane.
2: It's great. that uh, Was it Dooley grabs the flight attendant to like block getting hit by the <laughs> fire extinguisher? One of them does. It, might, yeah. it might've been somebody else, but in order to like not get hit by the fire extinguisher, he grabs the flight attendant and uses her as a human shield.
1: Yeah. But they get thrown off the plane and on the runway, the engine like the the blast of the engine is blows all the paperwork out of laszlo's Mm -hmm. hands and it's all over the runway and the two of them are like running around trying to collect the paperwork and thompson's just watching the plane fly away and basically like the story of the campaign trail leave yeah he's just like all right i guess this is what the article's about now (laughs)
2: Well, uh-huh. he, and he was really mad at Laszlo because he didn't want to go along on his crazy adventure. Right. Which it, it, I thought was like an interesting turn for the character because yeah. he wanted to do his job and not just go off on this you know, crazy idea of... I, I wasn't even t- entirely sure. He wanted to go build some sort it was of compound kind of, of some sort. Yeah,
1: restarting what he had going at the previous place. But at this point, like Hunter's like, you're already like too loopy for me to deal with you like you're you're off the reservation you want to you know fund all these cartels and give weapons to people and laszlo thinks he's going to help form like a revolution with all this money but he's just causing a lot of problems which is why the actual person ended up like moving his operations to mexico and that was when he was killed on some ship well, like possibly killed i think his family thinks he was murdered but the official story is that he like drown like he fell off a boat and drowned but they never recovered the body or anything so but then obviously uh well that's the end of the the story basically he finishes writing the article he's sitting with his dog and his nixon dummy in his cabin and he says
3: it never got weird enough for me
1: and then uh and then that's kind of it
3: much like fear and loathing in las vegas it's it's more of a collection of scenes yeah and and there is like a narrative of a sort I feel like there's
1: actually more connective tissue in Fear and Loathing than there is in I the. I I agree. But, um,
2: but it's really, the movie is made by the performances. Right, right.
1: exactly. But it, it's basically a reenactment of four or five separate articles that he had written over the course of his career with Rolling Stone. And then pieces of some of his books.
2: But he wasn't, in this movie, he wasn't writing for Rolling Stone.
1: No, well, it was Rolling Stone, but they, they called it Blast Magazine because okay. it didn't have the rights to it.
2: Oh, okay that makes sense
1: Cause... yeah but um in this movie he's actually hunter s thompson in the movie fear and loathing it's an adaptation of his book fear and loathing in las vegas so the character is raul duke right and laszlo isn't called laszlo right
3: no gonzo dr gonzo, dr. gonzo. Oh, okay
1: it is that simple then because they called what hunter s thompson was doing the whole time gonzo journalism so i guess that was just a reference to that i didn't realize they just literally gave him that name but it is the Last the character, character from the book. Calls, yeah.
3: calls him his attorney. Yeah. My attorney understands this concept, despite his racial handicap.
1: <gasps> <laughs> I I love the last line of fear loving Too, when he's like watching him get on the plane, he's like, a
3: high-powered
0: mutant of some kind, never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die.
1: But yeah, that that second movie had been in development for longer than the first one, like from even before when the first one came out. Right, and but, and Gilliam did a lot of rewrites. Yeah. Um, but originally, it was going to be Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were going to be the two characters, but they were too old to play the parts um, by the end of the 70s. God,
3: Marlon Brando, that would have been a mess.
1: Well, I, th- I think it's also an interesting choice to go Anglo with the attorney character because mm-hmm. he was a Hispanic person in real life. Um, and I know that there was kind of an uproar when they were going to use, I forget, like Peter Boyle's playing this laszlo character who i think was going to be named like vasquez or something in the movie and all these like hispanic groups were like you can't just hire a white guy and have him play a mexican guy in this movie and so they're like fine then he's playing a white guy (laughs) his name's carl laszlo now um
3: also interesting that peter boyle gets top billing
1: yeah i Uh, think he was the bigger name at the time for sure
3: it's just yeah i mean it's just i was like when i was watching the opening credits i was like wow peter boyle gets number one
1: and i mean he was kind of the focus of most of the articles that made hunter famous so it does make sense that like you could interpret him as being like the main character of this movie and Mm -hmm. it's just you know he's like the guy leading the band that in almost famous that the kid is constantly like encountering right but yeah uh i guess at one point dan Aykroyd and john belushi were going to play the two characters I don't think
2: that would have been
3: anywhere near as good.
1: Yeah. Well, Belushi died before that could even get any kind of real um, momentum. And Aykroyd just doesn't physically... I don't don't think so either. I mean, he was much skinnier at the time.
3: But not that much skinnier.
1: Yeah. Um, No no offense, Mr. Aykroyd, but... But but
2: also, I don't think I've seen Dan Aykroyd, like, stretch and play somebody like this. You know, that's this out of their own character.
1: Well, you should see. Uh, Nothing but trouble. Nothing but trouble. He's what's, a very what's his
2: character in that.
1: <laughs> very uh, different character. Yeah, he
3: plays the the
1: insane like, elderly judge,
3: hundred like year old judge of this small town.
1: But uh, he's crazy.
3: Have you not seen Nothing but Trouble? I haven't. Oh, it's a it's a it's a magical journey. Yeah, but <laughs>
1: we'll get there for sure. It would have been interesting too, though, if two Ghostbusters had both played Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> mm. But yeah, there's
3: still time. They're making Ghostbusters more Ghostbusters movies. Johnny Depp could still be in one.
1: That's true.
2: <laughs> I thought you were gonna say they're making more Ghostbusters every day.
1: John Malkovich was also at one point considered for the role of Duke in Fear and Loathing, but huh. that didn't end up working out. But I feel like he's a he's a good match physically. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, I guess John Cusack wanted to do it because yeah. um, he had directed like a stage play performance of some of Hunter Thompson's works.
3: I mean, I could see him with the look. Yeah, I just. And I, I love John Cusack, and this would have been at the height of his kind of ability. Yeah. But I don't know if if I thought he could pull it off.
1: Yeah. And uh, but apparently, as soon as Thompson met Johnny Depp, he was like, "This is the only person who can play the part for me." But I still think Bill Murray does a better job of emulating Hunter specifically.
3: Yeah. I I, I wanted to bring this up. I was really torn about which performance I like better, and and which movie I like better. I mean,
1: they're both amazing performances.
3: Yeah. Uh. They're they're, you know. When I was first starting, *Where the Buffalo Roam*, because I hadn't seen it in a little while, probably yeah. not since we worked at Blockbuster. Yeah, um, uh, I was just thinking, "Oh man, this is starting off a little, little weird uh, with the whole fax machine scene." I really don't know what's what's happening here. Yeah, um, but once it's once it got once it got moving, I was like, "This is really good." I think
1: all that interstitial stuff was kind of an afterthought, or at least it feels that way. Mm-hmm. That they were like, "These scenes need to get connected more." Like, let's bookend the movie with something. But um, yeah, it's a little weird. It, it gets off on the wrong foot. I feel like starting it with the car parked on the thing at the hospital would have made more sense.
3: because well, it opens with it's such a it's such a static shot and this it looks like a Saturday Night live set.
1: Yeah, it does. like
3: it, it just felt it just felt very fake.
1: That's part of what makes me think that it was an afterthought is that I think they shot that in one day on a sound stage mm-hmm. after they were like, well, the movie's done and we need some help in the edit. So let's put something together that kind of squeezes it into a story. But um,
2: I think that um, Johnny Depp's performance really emphasizes a little bit more of the like psychosis and the like drugged out you know episodes that he has, which yeah. I don't think was a very big emphasis in this movie.
1: Yeah, I think um, that Hunter actually I don't think he liked either film a lot, but I think he praised both performances obviously and I think both of them really get Hunter S. Thompson right I think the difference is that Johnny Depp was playing Hunter S. Thompson even if he's doing it really well he's he's emulating Hunter S. Thompson and Bill Murray is just that he is that person like Mm -hmm. it didn't it never feels like he's pretending like at times you even forget that he's playing another character because it just feels so much like the Bill Murray that we know
2: right like Johnny Depp is doing the caricature right yeah and Bill Murray is just Doing the real version
1: but I, I do think between the two films i prefer fear and loving in las vegas like if i had to sit down and watch one of the two of them it would be that one even if i prefer bill murray's performance
3: yeah
2: yeah i agree with that
1: just because terry gilliam is an expert filmmaker and his yeah. direction totally saves what could have been a totally like meandering mm. nonsense story yeah um,
2: and i i'm a sucker for anything terry gilliam does
1: it also helps that he does so much practical work. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of CG in that movie still, yeah. but um, so much of it is practical that it's like, and just weird lenses, and mm-hmm. he he really captures like the the manic energy that that uh, Hunter S. Thompson is always bringing to everything. It it feels like just one long article yeah. when you're when you're watching the movie, and I I just crack up listening to the voiceover whenever he goes into like some weird stretch of nonsense your dead grandmother crawling up your leg with a knife in her teeth or (laughs) you don't look portuguese (laughs) (laughs) that's good stuff uh whereas the director for this film art linson um has mostly producing credits um he actually produced fight club dick tracy scrooged fast times at ridgemont high well
3: scrooge another bill murray
1: right um and he also uh, produced melvin and howard which we'll be discussing later this year um he only has one other directing credit he directed the wildlife in 1984 um but he also has producer credits on a bunch of de niro movies so he uh produced untouchables heat um what just happened did you ever see what just happened i did not see that i didn't see it either but it's adapted from a book written by linson about his experiences in hollywood um and then most recently uh he wrote the comedian which de niro starred in also oh yeah um Writer John Kay. This was his third and last screenwriting credit um, for twenty years, until Lulu with Patrick Swayze and Melanie Griffith, which he also directed um, in nineteen. Or the, this was nineteen eighty, so that was two thousand that he did that. Um, the DP for this film was Tak Fujimoto, yeah, who is amazing. Uh, he was a DP on Star Wars, Silence of the Lambs, The MacGyver Pilot, Sixth Sense, Devil. Uh, that thing you do gladiator ferris bueller's day off pretty in pink death race 2000 just a lot of classic beautiful things
3: he 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 does these like shots where he he, he likes to have people look directly into the camera um and he likes to do like really flat and extreme close-ups uh you can always tell when he's when it's him behind the lens
1: yeah And uh, we'll see him again later this year uh, lensing uh, Melvin and Howard, which is another uh, Linson production, um, and also Borderline, so he has two more films that we'll be covering. Uh, The composer for this film was Neil Young. Uh, This was the first of very few films that Young composed. Uh, The other two were Dead Man from Jim Jarmusch, which stars the the other Hunter S. Thompson, Johnny Depp, and uh, he also uh, composed Greendale which is a musical film that he directed himself but all of his other composing credits were for concert films Hmm. of his own work
2: i don't recall was there actual score in this film it was
1: i mean it it must have been
2: subtle i remember i remember when the songs played
1: yeah i think um all i all i recall is the home on the range at the beginning and then those the horns from that song come back in at various times throughout the movie at like yeah high energy points but the rest but was like popular music yeah most most of it was actually just yeah music i don't, from I the don't time. actually
2: remember score aside from that his his that, that
1: maybe sense. that was it but it was yeah. enough to get him the credit
2: yeah
1: um we said before peter boyle was laszlo um he's probably i think of the monster from young frankenstein yeah. first for him um he was wizard and taxi driver he was jocko dundee and johnny dangerously the leader of the dundee gang um, that's such a great movie i'm excited for when we get to it, um, it was he, mr moon in Yellowbeard. beard yes <laughs> um, he'll be in uh, beyond the poseidon adventure or he already was <laughs> that was a that was a failure before 1980 um and uh so this this confused me because He played Joe in a movie called Crazy Joe in 1974. I was like, that's weird. This whole time I thought that movie was just called Joe, but it's called Crazy Joe. And then I noticed he's also Joe in Joe from 1970. (laughs) So he's in two movies where he plays a character named Joe who's the titular Joe.
3: Are they not related? They're not related to each other.
1: Interesting. uh, oh, bill murray was hunter s thompson oh, oh yeah i, mean, I was
3: also gonna say like everyone loves raymond yeah was a oh, big was a big, was a big long yeah. run aside, for him. aside from
2: young frankenstein that is absolutely the next thing i go to
1: i've never seen a single episode of that show
2: oh lucky is it good no
1: <laughs> it can't be that bad it it's, was on for like 10 years
2: it's a standard sitcom yeah. yeah
1: i i like ray romano
3: i i think that it's has i mean everybody does funny <laughs> moments
2: wah, wah.
1: it has funny moments it has though. funny moments and uh, who was the who was his wife? It was the Toy Story. It was Mrs. Potato Head, right? Uh, Doris yes. Roberts. Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. His, oh, sorry, yeah. Peter yeah. Boyle I thought you were talking was about right, Raymond Ray 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 like, Ray No, Ray who cares Ray yeah, Ray. Ray yeah, who cares about <laughs> the woman he spent his whole life with? Uh, Peter Boyle does. That's who. Bill Murray was Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, you know him, so I don't have to say anything. Um, his best movie is Life Aquatic. We all agree. Um, he was already pretty big from SNL, but this is right before he fully exploded um, mm-hmm. with his movie work. Sense <laughs> hesitation.
3: I uh, well, I, you actually kind of got me in. A, it was like I was like, I don't know if I agree with that, but I don't know if You're I like, disagree I with it. <laughs> think of a
1: better one though. They're all kind of tied.
3: I mean, uh, you know, uh, Scrooge is Scrooge is wonderful because his, his speeches and that yeah. are really great, and he really you can tell that he's really behind them yeah. Um, and uh, I I love Scrooge so much so
1: yeah it's it's uh, it's hard to pick i just wanted to throw one that i particularly like and then pretend that we all like it and uh, I, love, it's an I love life fact. aquatic um bruno kirby is marty lewis i love bruno kirby the yeah. late the late bruno kirby we lost him um
3: there's a lot of lights in this one
1: yeah um obviously bruno kirby was amazing in good morning vietnam we said before <laughs> uh he was the young clemenza in godfather part two um uh, and he's fantastic in a couple of billy crystal movies yeah, uh, when harry met sally and the city slickers uh,
3: I, I do love him in when, when, when harry met sally like the pairing of him and carrie fisher yes i was like i've never had anyone quote me to me
1: before <laughs> <laughs> uh harris from the post was renee aboriginal who uh we're gonna date the recording here but i feel like it's worth pointing out we just lost him in the last like week or so yeah um and this happened to somebody else over the course of the podcast that we talked about them like Danny Aiello Aiello, um, had passed away and uh and we talked about him in the Defiance episode like he was still around but just know we're we're banking these and recording them in advance and we we didn't want it to look like we don't know these people just died we care a lot about them we're just we're losing them after we discuss them but um Renee obviously uh we had him as uh Reverend Mulcahy and MASH um, he was Odo on Star Trek, and the chef and The Little Mermaid. Those are the credits that. Yeah, I we we
3: before. kind of already talked him up. Yeah. I don't want to not acknowledge him, but yes. we talked him up a lot in he, the. He's terrific. Yeah,
1: mesh. Um, R. G. Armstrong was Judge Simpson. Um, he played Prune Face in Dick Tracy, which the director of this film produced. Mm-hmm. Um, he played General Phillips in Predator, and he was the old man on Millennium. Um, uh, on the TV series Millennium. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, not the movie,
3: not the movie Millennium, which is fantastic and everyone should see it.
1: Uh, but the Millennium series was supposed to be like Chris Carter's like X Files. Yeah, that uh, didn't work out. They had, they had a
3: crossover episode or two. It, it
1: wasn't a bad show either. No, it wasn't. I
2: watched it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I liked uh, it. Was or Lance Henderson? Lance right? Henderson. Yeah. yeah. Um, Danny Goldman was Porter. I don't remember who Porter was, but uh, he played Captain Murhart in Mash. Uh, he was a medical student in Young Frankenstein with Peter Boyle, and uh, he did the voice of Brainy Smurf on the original series, 225 episodes. You know who he is? Who's that?
3: I think he must be the guy in the courtroom that he gets drunk.
1: Oh, yeah, if he's, I think in, so. if
3: he's in Young Frankenstein, I can picture he's the one who's like calling him Dr. Frankenstein. It's it's Frankenstein. Oh, okay. It's like, that, that that has to be who that then is.
1: That probably is him. So, Dwayne Jesse's credit is coming up here. This uh, this threw you off a little yeah, bit.
2: Yeah, so I was I was doing some IMDBing while we were watching the movies because I thought that was a really unique name. Actually, this was when we were watching... Our next movie. Our next mo- Friday Gorp. the 13th. No, Gorp. Gorp, yes. sorry. <laughs> They're all blended together now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were watching Gorp, and I saw the name, and I'm like, I just saw this name, and I was trying to figure out which movie I saw it in, and it was this one where the buffalo roam right but i couldn't find it on imdb because he wasn't listed by that name apparently
1: the reasoning for that is because his name is now otis day which is the character that he plays mm-hmm. in national lampoon's animal house um they're playing kind of a a parody of, of morris day and the time called otis day and the Nights. yeah <laughs> and uh it was such a popular group that he changed his name to otis day so that he could be known as his character from that movie, literally kept the band together, and they still perform to this day, as the as Otis Day on the. Do Knights. they really? They do, do. They
2: perform around here.
1: Um, you can look on their website. You can you can sign oh them God. up for like personal appearances and stuff like that. <laughs> Looking uh, it but up. But yes, he he also will appear in our next film, which uh, released in theaters six days after Where the Buffalo Roam. Mark Metcalf was Dually. Uh, he was Doug Niedermeyer in Animal House. Yeah. Um, he plays Colonel Niedermeyer in The Stupids <laughs> yeah. from the same director, John Landis. He also uh, well-known for The Master on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which oh, is like the leader yeah. of the vampires.
3: I forgot. You know what? Because I, I, I always think that Doug Jones, Doug <laughs> that Jones plays so many
1: characters in that. Um, and he was also the narrator for The Furry Revolt. Hey. <laughs> <clears throat> Quinn K. Redeker was the pilot he has a story credit and was nominated for an oscar for deer hunter oh wow <laughs> that's an interesting credit
3: I, I do love that scene because he's drinking a beer while hunter's piloting yeah the plane because
1: he lets hunter fly the plane for and
3: him. that's when harris comes in and says my turn to fly so, <laughs> it's like this guy for real is like well i don't think he's instrument rated
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have brian cummings doing the voice of richard nixon mm-hmm. because the voice is obviously dubbed over a person who looks like nixon uh, but the guy who does the voice name is brian cummings very accomplished voice actor he was the stove in beauty and the beast he was doofus drake on ducktales he was Oak in ferngully which is one of the two like sidekicks of the bad right, fairy right. character um, he was papa bear on the berenstein bears it was Arnold Mausenegger on two Rescue Rangers episodes. Oh. And he is not related to Jim Cummings. <laughs> <Yes. Okay. laughs> you can furiously, put your phone down. <laughs> furiously Googling. <laughs> um, Sonny Carl Davis was Stepanian. Um, he played the delivery man in the first two Evil Bong movies. Um, and then after that, he played Rabbit in the next six Evil Bong movies which included five sequels and a crossover with the ginger dead man films
3: <laughs> i know not of any of these titles <laughs> neither
1: do i our next uh, our next credit is richard m dixon as yeah. the candidate another person who literally changed his name for work the guy who plays richard nixon his the actor's name is richard m dixon um, he was born james laroe he first played nixon on film and tv in 1971 when nixon was still president including a guest appearance on david frost's show six years before the famous frost v nixon interviews uh-huh. he also he went on to play nixon in eight more films sometimes credited as the president or here as the candidate this was his last appearance as nixon susan kellerman was the waitress uh, she played the mother of Lotka kaufman's character on taxi um, she was Grace in Beetlejuice. And uh she's not related to Sally Kellerman in any way. <laughs> was that...
2: Grace the real estate agent?
1: No, Grace is the woman who is the date of Dick Cavett that comes to the house. She's one of the people in like a fancy dress sitting around the uh, table. okay. Yeah. Um Craig T. Nelson was the cop on the stand?
3: Wasn't sure if we were if you were going to include I was like he's going to include There's Craig no T. Nelson. There's no way to touch on that.
2: Come on. The, the... The furtive movement it was like one of some of the best <laughs> acting in the... <laughs>
1: that was great. Um, he was coach. Um, he was in Poltergeist, the dad. And he's obviously Mr. Incredible. Everybody knows Craig T. Nelson. Yeah. Uh, Dennis I'm, O'Flaherty... Well, hold on. Hold sorry. On. No, that's right. We're done. Oh, okay. The end. Anyway. I was going to say,
3: we're going to have him back for Private Benjamin.
1: Oh, yeah. That's true. Later this year. Um, Dennis O'Flaherty was Secret Service Man number two. Uh, He wrote for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Biker Mice for Mars, Captain N and the Game Master, uh, Street Sharks, a lot of classic uh, Fox animated Saturday morning (laughs) cartoons. Uh, Nancy Parsons was the head nurse. Uh, She will be ball bricker in Porky's, I think next year, or maybe 82. Um, She's Mrs. Kruger in Sudden Impact, and she will be back later this year in Motel Hell. Um there's also a credit here that I wanna mention, Jerry Marin, who plays the Bell Man. That's uh one of the two uh dwarves that works in the hotel that he's staying at yeah. during the Super Bowl stuff. Um he is one of the Lollipop Guild members. Hmm. Really? Yeah, he was the last surviving member of the Lollipop Guild. He doesn't
2: uh, look that old in this movie at all.
1: Well, that was what, thirty nine? And I think he was a child. It must have been. Um but uh, he survived long enough to appear like in an episode of Seinfeld in 2000. Like, he, was he was 98 around... when he died. So yeah. we
2: had two people in Seinfeld.
1: Who else was in Seinfeld? From
2: Mark this? Metcalf. Oh, was he? He was the maestro.
1: Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, Jerry Marin, um, he also played a child ape in Planet of the Apes. He played a midget in Hello Dolly. Although... Um, something weird here a lot of these are uncredited i'm not saying that he didn't appear as these characters he's clearly there on screen but if he's not credited then why would they say midget if he's a dwarf isn't he technically the dwarf in hello dolly if he's uncredited (laughs) just whoever entered it decided what they thought um he was i guess he plays someone in tron there's no character name it just Mm. says tron Hmm. uncredited um, he was also in At the Circus with the Marx Brothers. He was the oldest living actor to have appeared in a film with the Marx Brothers at one point. Um, he's,
3: he's one of the dinks <laughs> in right. Spaceballs.
1: Yeah. Um, he's also credited as Little Critter in House, the William Cat comedy horror film. Mm-hmm.
2: That movie's great. <laughs> um,
1: and the trivia on IMDb says he is also in Fear and Loathing, but he is not um i looked it up and that's a completely different actor in fear and loathing so they just screwed that one up jess
2: uh that's a definite up for me
1: yeah uh very very large up yeah i i'm in agreement with you guys and i think uh it probably deserves to be a double feature with fear and loathing yeah i think it's worth watching them back to back because i did that today and it was very interesting where do you think it goes in your letterbox list
2: I it's I, I I so what I'm debating right now is whether it's number 1 or number 2. Oh wow. So, I think uh it's so hard. I think I'm going to put it as number 1
1: right now. All right. Had you seen this before or no? I have. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um what do what do you think? Uh
3: very very similar like I'm like going through my top 3. Uh I think I'm still very enamored with the ninth configuration in my mind and it's yeah. like yeah, that movie is just yeah. so new to me um and i just can't get over it um so i'm gonna put it in my number two
2: that was the yeah because ninth configuration is at the top of mine too so yeah that's the one i i can't i was debating because ninth really...
1: configuration isn't the top of yours
2: then i am looking at richard's list you are oh yeah. little darlings little
1: darlings is on top of your list
2: oh shoot really love a little darling
1: <laughs> we're, not, we're not gonna require you to leave it at the okay, top of your list putting,
2: then i'm putting it at number two it's above ninth configuration but it is below a little
1: darling. okay and then you said it's right below ninth yeah. configuration so you're both putting it at number <laughs> yeah, two. yeah it's
3: like yeah it's like <laughs> i'm so confused now uh, uh yes so yeah uh ninth configuration is still number one but fear and loathing uh, sorry where the buffalo room is <laughs> my number two all
1: right um you guys didn't drag that out long enough i have no idea where i'm putting it (laughs) i like this movie but i don't think i'm gonna put it as high as you guys did i mean it's still in my top i'm gonna say eight but i'm actually gonna put it this is gonna go in seventh place for me it's between uh the fog and my brilliant career it's just above my brilliant career
2: well, it's that's in a that's in a rather similar place to where I have it. Sure, yeah, no, it's high up on the list. Those movies are higher on my well, list. Well, I feel of bad. I feel like I'm crapping have? on the movie because you no. guys have it like right at the top. What do you, what do you have up there though? Because you have some movies my, up my there that we don't. My
1: my top six are Forbidden Zone, The Changeling, Ninth Configuration, Little Darlings, Mad Max, The Fog, and then this. Okay. So, but yeah, I think that's where it goes for me.
3: And I have a lot of those similar movies in my top. So okay. And,
1: yeah. Well then I feel less bad.
3: I liked this movie, guys. I did. Don't feel bad. Again, my list is is what movie would I want to rewatch? Right. Yeah. And I would rather, you know, I liked my brilliant career, but if I'm going to rewatch a movie right now, it's going to be where the buffalo roam. Yeah. I agree.
1: Um All right. Well, I think that's about everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com/vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Gorp, which IMDb calls a slapstick comedy about the wacky antics of a group of waiters at a Jewish summer camp in upstate New York. We we'll leave you now with the trailer for GORP.
0: In a recent statement, leading members of your community have condemned a new motion picture entitled GORP as being totally unredeeming and offensive. Here in a rebuttal is the producer of GORP, Mr. I.M. Gross. Ladies and gentlemen, considering only a very few of your so-called concerned citizens have actually seen my new movie, I've taken this opportunity to show you the paying public, a selection of scenes, proving once and for all that if GORP is offensive, it's equally insulting to everyone. GORP is a film made without any prejudice to sex. I'm just here to have fun, sex and fun. No commitments. Just like the guys, right? Religion. Age. All right, you little grunts, you want seconds, huh? Animals weight or complexion. On the plus side, Gulp is contemporary in its treatment of sexual morality. Oh, yeah, honest in its depiction of rebellious youth, outspoken in language. and completely unsanitary. Gorp, the comedy that mouths off. With something to offend everyone. Just when you thought it was safe to go to the bathroom.
1: Gort.